as John Mark has been talking about with y'all about angels and about different things about how angels have uh, showed up and appeared in the Bible, I want to talk to you today about an angel of judgment and a donkey named Grace, okay? An angel of judgment and a donkey that's named Grace. Where we're going to be today is in, is in Numbers 22. Numbers 22. For those of you who are wondering if the Lord is concerned about statistics, well, he wrote a whole book about it, okay? Uh, it's called Numbers. Um, again, that's too early in the morning. That joke was really bad. Um, but in Numbers 22, we see the next progression of the children of Israel as they're beginning to get in a position uh, to be able to uh, scout out the land, get ready to possess the land, things like that. And the Lord is bringing about and letting the people in those areas see and know that this group that has escaped from Egypt is now in the area. And it's really causing the kings there in and around uh, the Jordan area in the northern part of what we know today as the Sinai Peninsula, uh, you know, Palestine, the Holy Land, all those days, that, all those places that we know of uh, today. It's causing all the kings, the governments in that area to really freak out because the children of Israel are, a, there's a whole lot of them that are out that are camping around and they are, uh, they being the governments are being very, very strategic on how they approach this group of people invading their area. And where we come to in Numbers 22 is we come to the story of Balaam. Now, the story of Balaam has historically been kind of a conundrum in Bible study. And the reason that it's been a conundrum for many, many theologians and, and Bible stu study teachers is because it's really kind of difficult to understand. But in, and by that, I mean this, that some believe that Balaam was a true prophet of the Lord that went bad because of greed. Uh, that's one way that people interpret Balaam. But if you take into context, if you take into some things that we know historically about what is happening and what we know about Balaam, it's a better uh, understanding and, and interpretation of understanding him as a pagan sorcerer. And some of them may say, well, Will, what about some of the things that we know of? Those of you who are well-versed in uh, biblical studies may say, well, what about Balaam and, and some of his things that he say about uh, in verse 18, where he says things like the Lord my God and and some of this other stuff. Well, those are some good things. But if you look into the context completely of what he was doing, you really, really see that Balaam was really a pagan sorcerer that God used to do a miracle. One of the things that comes out as you get deeper and deeper into some biblical study and, and looking at theologians and others is that some of these people who are supposedly very, very, very well learned and have many more uh, degrees than I have uh, and even more than, than John Mark, they will say that, well, Balaam was actually uh, a prophet of God because that way that's how the Lord could use him because we all know that the Lord couldn't use a pagan to be able to do his work. 
And again, the reason they would say that is because some of those people that are very learned have a problem with miracles, going back to what they truly believe, and so they work things out that way. But I think that the whole reason and the story that we have with Balaam is to help us see and know that God's will is going to happen, and he's going to do it whatever way he chooses to bring about. And again, one of the greatest truths that we see in the story of Balaam is God was proving to those nations, those pagan nations at that time and place, that Israel was his chosen people and that he was leading them and that they were going to inherit this land. And he confirmed that among the Israelites, as we well know, through, through Moses and through things that he did on Mount Sinai and as he uh, made himself known to the Israelites there. But the Lord is also doing it to the pagan kings and the pagan rulers in the area. And he used Balaam, a well-known, internationally known sorcerer and shaman. And the way that Balaam was known, as he was known in this time in the ancient world, is that he would read animal entrails. Uh, for those of you who are deer hunters, I'm sure you've probably, when you feel dressed uh, a deer or, or a game, uh, and you uh, let the entrails fall on the ground, you probably look and say, oh, that was gross. Okay, so that's reading entrails, okay? But the way that he did it is he did it in a way to where he supposedly could read the entrails of animals and, and of these signs and things and be able to tell people what the gods were saying. Or he could do things with those entrails or those things to be able to influence the gods to be able to. To do something. Another thing that these ancient shamans would do is they would drop oil in water and they would read the patterns and things in the water and they would use that as a way to be able to explain or, or tell people or how they could, you know, foresee their future or how in the way that the oil moved that they could make a particular god uh, do their bidding. Or they would be somebody who could read s supposed signs or things around them like clouds or they would read the stars uh, or, or they would read other things happening in the world. One of the other things that, that they were famous for is when they would see a flock of birds moving. These ancient shamans would say, well, that flock of birds and the way that flock of birds is moving, that is a sign of this. And so we need to be able to do this to appease this God or to make sure that this particular deity doesn't do this or that. And so what we know from Scripture and other ancient literature, uh, in fact, an, an inscription that was found in and around uh, uh, Jordan uh, that was dated back to the 8th century uh, B.C., identified a certain man by the name of Balaam, son of Baor, was a seer of the gods. Uh, really one of those things, if you get into biblical backgrounds, um, you get to see how there are things in archaeology and other things to, that show and prove uh, the historicity of the Bible. It's really interesting, really uh, interesting class that I had uh, in seminary. But anyways, one of the things that also these seers or soothsayers would do is that they would pronounce curses on people. Okay, or they would pronounce blessings. And this come, came from a belief in the ancient world of the power of the spoken word in the name of a deity or in the name against uh, a deity. This was something very popular in the ancient world. 
And one of the things that we see about Balaam and the way that he is presented here in Numbers is that he's a pagan counterpart to Moses, okay? Moses is the spiritual leader of God's people, of the one true God that's leading the people of Israel into the promised land. Balaam was a pagan prophet that the ancient world looked to to be able to supposedly do or try to get their gods to be able to do their bidding or to, or to follow those things. So Balaam is kind of set up as an, as an opposite uh, to Moses. And one of the things that Balaam did is that he knew of Yahweh. He knew of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. But Balaam believed that the Lord was not Lord of all. He was just another deity to manipulate. But in this story that we come to today, little did Balaam know that the Lord had a plan for him, and one that's kind of funny, too, at the same time, and that he would see the Lord was not like any other of the supposed deities that he would come into contact with. And one of the things that, uh, as I said before, that the Lord did is that he used Balaam to confirm to the people there in the ancient uh, land of the Holy Land and in, in, in and around what we know as the Middle East to be able to show these pagan kings that the Lord was a true God and that his people were Israel. In Numbers 22, if you kind of begin to glance there in verse 1 and following, you'll see a name called Balak. And Balak, or you probably have ever heard it maybe as Balak or things like that, he's basically the king of Moab of that time. The Moabites sound very familiar, I'm sure, to you. They and the Midianites were some peoples of the Sinai Peninsula, uh, and they saw the children of Israel as they crossed the Red Sea, as they made their way into the Sinai Peninsula, as they camped. They were part of those local people in that area uh, that saw this great multitude of people come out of Israel. And the reason that Balak summoned Balaam is that he saw the might of Israel and he knew he couldn't defeat them through military means. So if you can't defeat somebody through military means, you look for another advantage. And so he said, oh, we have Balaam. He's the seer. He's the one who can manipulate the gods to be able to do our bidding. So we'll get him to come in here and do this. But one of the things that those ancient prophets also did, the pagan prophets, is that they also were paid for what they did. So a king would call on an ancient pagan prophet, have him come and say, I want you to pronounce a curse on these people before we go into battle so that we'll win. And he said, sure, I'll do it. That'll be 1999. And if you respond today, I'll give you a free curse for your mother-in-law, throw it right in. No, no, I love my mother-in-law, seriously. Uh, I, no, I really do. I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about that. But no, the, the reason that they would do that is because, hey, they had to make a living. Hey, if you've got an angle, if you've got a little racket, and you know you can make a little bit of money off of it, that's nothing new. So that's how he made some money with the kings doing and saying these things. But what happens is that Balaam turns him down the first time, as we see in those first few verses in Numbers 22, and he turns him down because the Lord spoke to him and said, you are not going to place a curse on Israel. Balak again 
pass Balaam a second time, presumably with more money. As we see in verses 15 and following, there's an implication there as he came back with more princes of greater prestige and things like that. That's an implication that he came back with more money, more more things to be able to say, all right, I'm going to sweeten the deal here, Balaam. Come out and pronounce this curse on Israel. This time, though, the Lord tells him to go, but to only say what the Lord tells him to say. Verse 18 is another one of those verses in, in, in Numbers 22 that seems to really, really imply through context that Balaam wanted more money in all of this. So here's this pagan king. He's got a little racket going, got a little action going, got a little business going, making some money off some kings. Pagan person, they come to him as the spiritual counterpart on the pagan side to Moses and say, hey, they've got Moses We've got you. We know you can beat them. We need for you to do your thing so that we'll win by pronouncing a curse. And so we come to our passage today in verse 22, and we see the miracle that the Lord does. Verse 22 of Numbers 22 says this, But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood or took his stand in his way. Now, the person here that they're talking about his way, that's Balaam, okay, as he's going to uh, meet uh, with the king. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, Because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it's evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this 
different passage today. But Father, we thank you that you use uh, miracles and show grace. Father, we thank you for the way that you showed grace, even in the Old Testament, to be able to accomplish your will. Father, I pray today as we look at this passage and see how you used an angel and a donkey, you will help us examine our own lives and allow us to see those areas of our life that we need to surrender to you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Well, as we see here in this passage, there was a donkey that was named Grace. Now, you're saying that, Will, I don't see in the Bible where it says that Balaam's donkey was named Grace. Well, that's because that's what the name that I gave the donkey. And the reason I gave the donkey that name is because the Lord was using something to to show and extend grace to Balaam, even though that he was a pagan, and he was doing what the Lord had him to do, but he was doing it in an attitude of greed instead of an attitude of obedience to the Lord. One of the things that we know about a donkey in, in the ancient world is that it was a source of transportation. It helped a person get from point A to point B, just like a car, you know, would for us today. But it was also like a small pickup truck. A donkey was kind of like the small little, you know, Tacoma pickup truck of the day or the Chevy Colorado or, or some of the other ones. You know, I'm hearing rumors now that the Ford Ranger is about to come out again in 2018 or something like that. Have y'all heard that rumor that the little Ford Ranger is supposed to be coming back, you know, with a vengeance? Well, the donkey was kind of like that in that day. It could carry some smaller loads, but it couldn't carry the loads that the big camels or the oxen could carry in that day. A donkey was also someone that was trusted. Men, you know how those of you who have pickup trucks and things like that about how you trust that pickup truck to be able to do the things that you need to do. That's the best way for us to be able to identify what a donkey was like in the ancient world. It was a trusted friend of Balaam's to get him where he needed to go and to do the things that he needed him to do. But here's the deal. In the ancient world, just like it is today, the donkey was still seen as a dumb animal. Okay? It was seen as a dumb animal. But the Lord had a plan for Balaam's dumb animal. Why? Well, here's the deal. In verse 22, we see that the implication of the context that's going on here of this passage is that the Lord knew Balaam's heart was for greed and not to do as the Lord says in the Lord's way and for the Lord's purposes. Balaam was a person who could supposedly see signs in nature, in, in things that could foretell the future. One of the things that he could see signs in is that he could see signs in animals. Okay? But Balaam, the famous internationally known seer, soothsayer, and shaman of the ancient world, couldn't see what a stupid animal could see. That's why this passage is also known as one of the most humorous in the Bible. Because again, just like in Egypt, if you know this from some of the studies you've been with John Mark before, when we study the passages in Egypt about the plagues, each one of those plagues was God showing that he was Lord over the gods of Egypt. 
They had a God of frogs. They had a God of, you know, the Nile. They had a God of all these things. And the Lord showed that he was the Lord over all that and not these pagan gods. Here's again that the Lord coming and trying to tell and let a pagan know that he is the Lord God and is even using something that he's supposed, that Balaam's supposed to be a supposed expert in, and not just a supposed expert, the internationally known, best known expert. And then the Lord chooses the dumbest animal, even in the ancient world, to be able to prove a point that even Balaam can't see things that he supposedly tells everybody that he can see. It's amazing sometimes of how God will use crazy things in our lives to get our attention. You ever been there? Ever done that? You don't have to, uh, it's not testimony or confession time right now, it's rhetorical. But have you ever been there and done that? Has God ever used a crazy thing in your life to get your attention, to let you know that, hey, you need to know that I'm Lord over this part of your life. Because you're not giving it to me. You're not surrendering it to me. Kind of funny to think about things that way. So the donkey became a tool of God's grace to get Balaam's attention. In verse 23, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in the road, but Balaam didn't see him. What we see here is we see that Grace came to Balaam in three different ways. And the Lord used the donkey to be able to show this grace to Balaam. The first sign I call grace's easy sign. Grace's easy sign. And I get this from verse 23. In this, I'm seeing that Balaam and his donkey were on a road that was open to other paths and all the ways around him. You know, well, how do we know that? Well, it says there that when the donkey saw the angel that he went off into a field off of the road. So if we know if he goes into a field off in a road that they were on a path that was beaten, but there were many ways off that path. The many ways off the path, some of the ways off the path were not the easy way. But as we know, it was a way that the Lord wanted Balaam to go. And he was using the donkey to be able to get Balaam's attention. But what happened is that as the donkey veered off the road after seeing the angel and went into a field, the pagan seer didn't see the angel, and the stupid donkey did. And Balaam showed how out of touch he was with his supposed skills, and he struck the donkey to get her back into the road. It's a sign of grace. It's an easy sign. I don't know if you've ever had a little detour in your life that's meant to get your attention. But for me, my little detour in my life was working at the public service company of Oklahoma after my junior year in college. For those of you who are in IT or things and been in around in a while, you've probably heard of the computer language COBOL. Uh, that was a very popular business uh, language that lots of business systems were based upon. Well, I was doing IT, information technology. I was learning how to be a systems designer, all this other kind of stuff when I was in my undergraduate. And 
I got this amazing job working and getting an amazing amount of money for a college student working at the public service company of Oklahoma in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. Little did I know about what I was going into because they had me sitting down with thousands upon thousands of COBOL programming in 1993, and they said, here in seven years, we're going to have a little problem when it hits the year 2000. What we need for you to do is your job this summer is to go through all these thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of line of code and change every date you see from two digits to four digits. Because remember at that time, the apocalypse was going to happen, you know, January 1st, 2000. And I was there to witness it, okay? I have a whole other story that I'll tell about that at a later time about how and what happened to me on the eve of the apocalypse as I was sitting there shaking, thinking that the whole northeastern Oklahoma, southwest Missouri, southeastern Kansas, northwestern Arkansas power grid was going to go down because a stupid college student in 1993 missed some code, okay? <laughs> It was real. It was a real fear of mine. You know, those of you who are probably laughing at it, but I've got a really funny story to tell sometime uh, about that that I'll use in, in another illustration. But I was making all this money, had this thing that I had no idea of what I was doing. I knew the implications of it, but I didn't care. I was making a lot of money. And I was the most miserable I had ever been in my life up to that point. How can you be miserable? You're making all this money. You're getting set up to be able to go into a public utility that is great job security. This is one of the ways that you were able to get into some of these great jobs uh, coming out of college this time, just like it is today. You have a great internship. They use it as a trial period. I was getting great reviews at my, you know, little weekend reviews and things like that that I would have. But I was miserable. And the reason that I was miserable is I wanted to do things my way and not the Lord's way. You see, he had called me into vocational ministry when I was 16 years old. I served in ministry and did things in ministry, but I wasn't willing to turn over my job to him. I thought that I could be in IT, do things my way, make a lot of money, but still serve him on the weekends or as a volunteer or things like that, but that's not what he called me to. And he used a miserable summer to be able to get my attention. That's my little detour, and I'm glad that I paid attention to that because I know that if I would have stayed on that path, I would have had a miserable life. I don't know where you are or the period of life that you're in today, but is the Lord trying to get your attention through a little detour off the road and into a field Is he trying to get your attention by maybe sending you off a well-beaten, easy path to go down a place that's just a little rough, maybe where the way is not as clear? The Lord does that to us to be able to make sure that we're trusting in him for our future, for the things that we need and not trusting in ourselves. It's amazing how the Lord will attack our pride just when we think we have it all together and that everything is happening because of our own merits, that he can use something 
to be able to take us off the path that we're on to try to get us and get our attention because we don't know that the path we very well could be on in life has a very, very bad ending. Because we know if Balaam kept going, he was going to go right into that angel. And if he went right into that angel, he would die and the donkey would stay alive. This is one sign. It's an easy sign. It's a sign that my prayer is that we all are looking for in our lives. Taking the easy sign of grace and realizing when the Lord is trying to tell us something. Another painful thing that we see here is grace's painful sign. We see an easy sign dealing with grace, but we also see a painful sign. There in verse 24, we see that Balaam and his donkey were on a narrow path with a wall on each side. And one of the things that they did back then in the ancient world with the vineyards is, you know, in farms and things today, you know, they've got fences and barbed wire fences and things like that. Well, barbed wire hadn't been uh, invented yet, and so they would use stone to be able to you know, build up areas of where you had, you know, this field was here, this field was here, and then they would use things with, you know, irrigation and digging these little streams from either canals or aqueducts to be able to, you know, lift up the little gate to get some water into the fields. And then they would build the walls to try to keep some of the rodents or other things out or to even delineate property lines. Well, Balaam's road that he was going on took him in between two of, of these walls. But ahead on this road stood an angel of the Lord. He was trapped in this road in a certain way, but not so completely trapped that he couldn't easily kind of turn around and go back in a different direction. But what happened is, is once again, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in front of Balaam. But Balaam, the famous seer, the famous seer of signs, internationally known, could not see what a stupid animal saw. As the donkey pushed Balaam up against the side out of fear of what she saw with the angel of the Lord ahead, it hit Balaam's foot and it hurt him. I don't know if you've ever had your foot trapped in between a wall or, or, or something else. Uh, when you were moving uh, some things or when you've been moving a couch. I'm sure you've all been moving a couch at some time. You're trying to get a couch through that narrow door or the dreaded triple dresser. Oh, I hate triple dressers. Mm. That dreaded triple dresser that you're trying to get around that corner and all of a sudden you forgot to put your hands on the bottom and that hand scrapes the side of that door frame. Man, you get to see how close you are with the Lord right then to see what kind of metaphors come out of your mouth then. Are you praising Jesus or are you saying something else? Um, but that's kind of the, the image here that's going on in the pain that Balaam had, okay? It gets your attention. But instead of trying to figure out what might be going on, he strikes the donkey Again, I had a painful situation that I was in when I was 16 years old. I experienced Grace's painful side because as a 16-year-old, the Lord was dealing with me with my call to vocational ministry. 
And I had two loves at that time. I loved music, loved playing piano and keyboards and all this other stuff in bands and all in serving at church and things like that. But I also loved basketball. And the school that I was at in Oklahoma was one of the largest schools uh, there at that time. And I was that guy who was around other guys who had uh, college talent that was good enough to be able to make a team. But on a basketball team, you know that even though you're not a starter, you can still get playing time because of the way the coach does the playing rotation. Well, I was always that guy growing up that was either one or maybe two guys right outside of the playing rotation. Still love the game, though. Played a lot of basketball. Love the game. Even today, I love coaching the game. I love analyzing the game. And yes, I am a diehard MFFL Mavs fan for life. Love the Dallas Mavericks. And yes, I watch the Dallas Mavericks on TV, even though that they're last place in the NBA right now. I get excited watching DSJ at the point guard and the things that he can do and see in the future. And also that new German kid, what's his name? Klepp or Clap or, or whatever, I can't remember what it is. Uh, some of the things that he's doing. Uh, I just, I love the game. But I had to choose because to be in music, my final two years of high school meant I had to give up basketball because I couldn't do music and basketball at the same time. I had a lot of opportunities to be able to serve and do things in music uh, at my high school. We were a high school that had tremendous funding for the arts. We had a, uh, a theater at that time that was very comparable to off-Broadway um, uh, theaters, meaning that they invested millions into this theater. And I learned so many great skills being a part of this that high schoolers, uh, not many across the country even today, get to learn being in a, in a facility like that. And so I had lots of opportunity there. But I was going to choose basketball. Love the game. Love basketball. I could always do, you know, music otherwise. But all of a sudden, after we finished the season and we started off season getting ready for summer league, I developed a staph infection in my right knee really got my attention, swelled up really big to where I couldn't even get my blue jeans on. Went to the doctor, and I remember sitting in the orthopedic surgeon's office, and he took a look at it. I don't know if you've ever had your knee drained or something like that. It is a world of fun, let me tell you. Um, had all that drained, had all that done, and they came back and said, yeah, you got staff. Uh, we're just going to lay it out here plainly. You got it bad. Uh, we're going to give you some super drugs. If it's not better in a week, we're going to have to go in and irrigate. Uh, knee irrigation, uh, especially back then in the 80s, uh, was not a good thing to happen to you. Uh, I had just had a neighbor down the street from us at that time who got a staph infection and lost his leg. I was scared half to death. Things were so bad, I remember laying in my bed saying, God, all right, you got my attention. I know this is over scheduling. Looking back on it, I can't believe I was 16 years old and I was, I was going through this, but I was. The Lord can speak to us when we're young. I don't know if you know this, but Mary 
mother of Jesus was a teenager. God can choose teenagers to do great and mighty things, to get the attention of the world. Well, I'm not equating myself with Mary, if that's what you're thinking. But the Lord did get my attention. And I was faced with a decision. I said, Lord, take this staph infection from me. I don't want to lose my leg. And in the meantime, I'm turning in the papers tomorrow early, and I'm going to be in music. Next day, I went on crutches, told the basketball coach I wasn't going to be there. He, he tried to, you know, say some things to encourage me to stay on. I said, Coach, I just I can't do it. I need to move on. I went to that doctor's appointment less than a week later. My knee was still swollen. It was things going on, and I'm thinking, I don't know what's about to happen to me. I guess I'm going into surgery. Took a look at it, did a little poking on it again with the needle, trying to get some fluid and other things out. Doctor goes, huh, well, things look a lot better. You'll be fine in about another two, three weeks. We'll see you back then. I was totally blown away, totally blown away. The Lord had done a miracle in my life, and I knew it was directly related to me paying attention and surrendering my schedule to him. Are you in a period of your life right now and maybe you're experiencing something painful on your road? Maybe there's judgment in the road ahead for you of some way because of some sin that you're struggling with or something that you're dealing with. Grace in this painful situation means that it's difficult to turn around, but you can still do it. It might be painful to be able to make that turn. It might be painful to experience what you're going through. But is he trying to get your attention? Is he trying to get your attention? Turn to him because if you don't, you might be headed to our final sign this morning, and that's Grace's final sign. As we wrap up here in verses 26 through 35, what happens here is that Balaam and his donkey were on a path that was so narrow now that they could not turn to the left or to the right. You've probably seen in some movies or some other things of ancient uh, cities to where some of the buildings were built so close together because there was no building code. There was no, you know, any of that kind of stuff back then. In some buildings and some passages or, or even in some areas, even in some agriculture deals, depending on if you had a big, rich person who wanted to build a really tall, you know, wall uh, for their vineyard to protect it or, or things like that. And maybe they had another one right beside it. We don't know exactly what it is, but it was a path that Balaam was on to where he could not turn left or to the right. The only way that he could go was either frontwards or backwards. You see, donkeys can walk backwards, but it's very slow and they can only go a few steps at a time. It's very troublesome for them to do that. But again, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path. The famous, internationally known seer of all things, an interpreter of signs and nature and everything else, could not realize what was happening when the donkey just sat down in the middle of the road. When the donkey sat down, when 
she saw the angel and Balaam didn't. The Lord finally got Balaam's attention and he revealed himself to him. At this time, you probably know the drill with the other illustrations and things that I've talked about. Grace's final sign is a sign where God could be extending his grace before, as the Bible says, he lets people go unto their sin. Romans 1, you know, talks about things like that, that there's a certain time that God says, okay, you want it your way, you got it. Experience the consequences of what it's like to do things your way. That's why people say, and even I say today, that God is a gentleman. He gives us the opportunity to choose our way or his way. And being the perfect gentleman, if you choose your way, you get to experience your way. But if you choose God's way, you get to experience his blessing, his encouragement, his power, his peace, his understanding when our ways lead us ultimately to death. Balaam had an encounter with the Lord and his angel on this road. Use the dumbest animal of the ancient time to be able to speak the words of the Lord to him. For 10 years back, I had uh, held something that I wasn't surrendering to God, something that I've only surrendered here recently. And today I am uh, physical evidence of that God is still doing miracles today, even when we're the most stubborn. So how did things end up for Balaam? You're thinking, well, he probably turned around and did the Lord's will after this. Well, if you look down at verses 34 and 35, you recognize and see that Balaam did recognize his sin, but he reluctantly went back away from God's judgment. And the reason that we know this is that we see in the context and in the ways of the, of the following uh, verses and chapters that he still had his pursuit of greed. Even though God used this pagan prophet three times in front of Balak, the king of Moab, when he's sitting there with all this gold, all this influence, and said, okay, pronounce the curse on Israel. And Balaam said, I can only say what the Lord says. Balaam opens his mouth and a blessing is pronounced on the people of Israel. And in fact, ultimately, God uses a pagan king to be able to tell the king of Moab and those around about ultimately how there's going to be a star rise out of Israel. It's one of the Christological passages of the Old Testament. And God used a pagan to bring that forward. God can use whatever way he wants to to be able to get our attention. I see that this is a way that he was trying to let the pagan people know, here's my people, I'm choosing them. You need to realize that I am the true God. As we know, when they entered the promised land, I can't remember exactly where it was, but Joshua had some of the people in that land come up to him and present tribute and things and recognize that they were... They were the occupiers and that the Lord was on their side. 
But the Midianites and the Moabites were not one of those. In fact, we see in Numbers 31 that Balaam caused Israel to act in a way against the Lord by giving them advice to intermingle and marry Moabite women. And in Numbers 31, Balaam was also killed by an army of Israel as they acted in God's judgment against the Midianites and the Moabites. And then we see in Deuteronomy and Joshua and Nehemiah and Micah and 2 Peter and Jude and even in Revelation, I believe in chapter 2, what John Mark just went through with you all, how Balaam is mentioned and used as an example to God's people about the judgment of sin and experiencing consequences for the sin that we do. Balaam had his chances to choose grace over his sin. We have the same choice today, Ben. Is there an easy sign of grace in your life right now? I can't answer that question for you. Is God trying to speak to you in a way to where he's trying to keep you from something? You're facing a decision that you haven't taken to the Lord yet, asking for his wisdom. Things happen around you that may be saying, well, maybe... Maybe I should check out this other way that's a little bit more difficult, you know? Maybe there's something painfully that you're going through right now. Maybe it's a way to be able to get your attention to show you in God's way to be able to keep you from experiencing judgment. It might be painful to turn around, but it's better to turn around than to keep going to where you're faced with the final decision on grace. And the only way that you can turn around is to go backwards on your knees. It's a lot of times that's how a donkey or you've seen animals having to back up and do things time. was one of the common greetings in the ancient world as you would go before a deity, you would bow down, but how would you also leave? Would you stand up and turn your back to that deity and walk away? No. When you would back up, you would back up. pray that if you're struggling with a sign of grace today in your life, that you would choose the path of grace and not the path of judgment. Don't be that person who experiences God's judgment and blame God later on in life and have to go through things to where you're made aware of, of all the times that the Lord tried to save you. Because ultimately, that's what will happen at the judgment. At the end of time, at the end of days, we'll see. Choose grace. Choose the Lord. Choose his way. Don't follow the example of Balaam and greed and pride. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for these men. Help them as they go to their jobs or to their other uh, duties that they have to do today. Father, I pray that you will guide their steps, guide our steps, Father. Help us to stay on the narrow path, trusting you with every step of the way. And Father, I pray that you will help us to stay in your word because your word is a light and a lamp to our feet and path. 
And I pray, Father, that you will help us to be able to know your word and to hide your word in our heart so that we may not sin against you. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.